from the bombings in Israel to the death of a progressive Christian. We'll talk about it all today right here on The Line of Fire. It's time for The Line of Fire with your host, activist, author, international speaker, and theologian, Dr. Michael Brown, your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Michael Brown is the director of the Coalition of Conscience and president of Fire School of Ministry. Get into The Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. That's 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Welcome, friends, to The Line of Fire. Hope you had a fruitful weekend. I was in California, Fairfield, so about an hour out of San Francisco, ministering over the weekend, tackling controversial issues with the Scriptures, and then flew back through the night. Delighted to be here with you today. A whole lot to talk about, and here's the number to call, 866-34-TRUTH, 866-348-7884. Also, make a note of it. About 90 minutes from now, give or take a few minutes, we're going to be doing an exclusive YouTube chat. So I'm going to share a few things on my heart, and then we are going to take your questions exclusively via YouTube chat starting at 4.30 Eastern Standard Time. So a little under 90 minutes from now, that's at the Ask Dr. Brown YouTube channel, A-S-K-D-R Brown. So look forward to speaking with all of you then as well. And some special announcements we've got for you during the course of the show. All right. Israel, standing with Israel, being, quote, a Zionist, meaning that God brought the Jewish people back to the land and that that is their homeland where he is reestablishing them. It is amazing to see the opposition that comes your way when you believe these things as a follower of Jesus. When you say, I believe God keeps his word because of his goodness, not our goodness, because of his faithfulness, not our faithfulness, Christians would say amen to that all the time. But the moment you apply it to Israel and the Jewish people, you get all kinds of resistance, all kinds of opposition, all kinds of attacks. I was sent a comment someone wanted me to see, and it accused me of being an Israel firster, whatever that's supposed to mean, I I guess you put Israel's concerns first beyond those anywhere in the world. I would simply say, I stand with God in restoring the Jewish people back to their homeland, and I stand with God in calling for Israel to act justly and rightly. I stand with God, and I see God at work in the world, and I believe that those that bless Israel will be blessed. But anyway, I was accused of being an Israel firster who... (gasps) perish the thought, read from the prayer book of the Jews on my Christian radio show. He could no longer support me. I feel so bad for folks like this who are so blinded, either in their prejudices or in their ignorance. And by the way, the Lord's prayer is patterned after Jewish prayers of the day. It's not like something brand new that was created out of nothing. There were prayers that Jewish people would be saying already And Jesus, Yeshua, in his divine wisdom, said, hey, here's the summary of it. Here's the heart of it. Pray along these lines. But in any case, I'm reminded of Luke, the second chapter, when Jesus, Yeshua, is brought by his parents, Joseph and Miriam, better known as Mary, but Miriam in Hebrew. He is brought by his parents to the temple after the time of purification. And there's a righteous man there named Simeon. 
And God had promised him that he wouldn't die until he saw the Messiah. And it says in Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 34, that he takes the child, all right? He, he offers a bracha, a blessing over them, and says to Miriam, his mother, Behold, this one is destined to cause the fall and rise of many in Israel and to be a sign that is opposed so that the thoughts of many hearts may be uncovered. And even for you, a sword will pierce through your own soul. But notice, he's destined to cause the rise and fall, the fall and rise of many in Israel, and to be a sign that is opposed that the thoughts of many hearts may be uncovered. So when Jesus came to Israel 2,000 years ago, when he came to his Jewish people, it brought things to the surface. It brought up the hearts and, and, and the intents of the heart. And you suddenly found out that people that you thought were really with God were actually traditionalists going their own way that were against him. And others that you thought were really against God were people that simply needed to hear the message of repentance. To this day, the Messiah is a stumbling block. To this day, the Messiah reveals what is in the hearts and minds of people. To this day, when the Holy Spirit moves just at Pentecost, Shavuot, Shavuot, the Holy Spirit was poured out at the Feast of Weeks, and Jesus comes in power, you immediately see where people are at, some mocking, others praising God. And I see a similar phenomenon with the nation of Israel as a whole, that when you begin to address the nation of Israel and talk about God's work among the Jewish people, it brings to the surface what's really in people's hearts for better or for worse. So over the weekend, 700 bombs, 700 rockets launched into Israel. As of this moment, four fatalities. You're in the privacy of your home or maybe even a safe room in your home, and next thing you're blown up, you're killed. One of the men killed, the first one killed. One of my friends said everybody knew him. Used to buy stuff from him in his store. Everybody knew the guy. Killed in the privacy of his home by terrorists, by Hamas terrorists, who may well be backed by Iran. And if you've seen any of the footage, it's, it's crazy. You've got people screaming and running. And I saw footage. Here's a guy driving in his car and the bombs are dropping and you hear the kids screaming in the car. And this, this is terror being carried out by terrorism. And I would suspect at this point in time that Netanyahu and his government will do their best to utterly wipe out the Hamas leadership and what they're guilty of. Listen, I want to put this in context because we often hear Gaza the world's biggest open-air prison, Gaza. Look at the horrific oppression of the Israelis. Look at what they're doing to the Palestinians in Gaza. Here is the problem in Gaza. Let me make this as clear as I can. When Gaza, the Gaza Strip, was under Egyptian control, Egypt did not do its best to enhance the lives of the Arabs living there and to elevate them. No, they let things rot when they had leadership and control over it, to put it bluntly. When Israel then took over Gaza Strip and began to develop things there, it was better for the Palestinians as well. It was better for the Arabs there identifying as Palestinians. It was better for them as well. And I charted this some years ago in, in terms of, of better quality of life and education, and even life expectancy and things like that. Well, under pressure from the U.S., Prime Minister Ariel Sharon pulled out all Israelis from Gaza. And this is right before Hurricane Katrina, if you want a time to mark it. Pulled them all out. 
and emphatically gave everything over to the Palestinians. You rule. It was traumatic for Israel. There were thousands of Israelis living there, and they had lived there for years. And they had planted their vineyards and done their farming and built their synagogues. And, and Israeli soldiers literally had to physically pull them out of their homes. It was traumatic for the nation to watch as Israelis are pulling out fellow Israelis by force. So what do the Palestinians then do? They elect Hamas as their leadership, a recognized terrorist group. You say, why would they do that? Well, a lot of propaganda, a lot of promises. And Hamas has a military wing, but then an educational humanitarian wing. So, hey, we helped you here. We're helping you with a hospital here. We're going to help you there. All it's done is destroy things for the Palestinians living in Gaza Strip because Israel now must blockade it. Israel now must say we control what gets in and out. Every single day, Israel thwarts terrorist attacks. Every single day, Israel stops terror attacks before innocent Israelis are killed. Hamas, what, what are they doing with the massive funding that they get to help their, their people? There? They're not putting into education. They're not putting into infrastructure. They're not putting into rebuilding hospitals or schools that were blown up by the bombing of Israelis because Hamas was launching rockets from those places. They're not helping the massive unemployment drop. They're putting money back into building bombs and building terror tunnels. That's where the money is going largely and, and propaganda. So can you imagine what would happen if Canada started bombing say Northern New York state started bombing Buffalo, 700 bombs dropped, people killed. Do you know how swift our action would be from America? Do you know how decisive it would be? Do you know how devastating it would be? And you know how sure we'd be that it would stop on the spot? What if Mexico was, was bombing Arizona or Texas? 700 bombs over a weekend period, several fatalities. You, you, you can only imagine the ferocity of our response and the intensity of our response. And yet when Israel does it, Israel's a monster. Israel's practicing genocide. Israel's butchering innocent people. Israel is defending itself against terrorist murderers, period. And you say, well, they need to, to be more careful. You know what's interesting is when studies were done accurately, when people got beyond the propaganda and the hype and the lies against Israel, they found that Israel's last war against Hamas in Gaza was, was carried out as carefully as any war in recorded history in terms of trying to minimize civilian casualties. Yes, there were many civilian, ca civilian ca casualties, but those are on Hamas for firing rockets from populated places, from firing rockets uh, near schools and, and hospitals and things like that so that if Israel fires back, that they're going to be civilian casualties. And then that's a victory for Hamas, because look at how evil and bad Israel is. Because Hamas understands that with firepower, they can't take Israel down. But with bad PR, they can make Israel look bad. So the more Palestinian babies killed, the more Palestinian children killed, the better for Hamas, the worse it makes Israel look. I, I know so many people who have served in the IDF, and so many families whose kids have served in the IDF. And they call for prayer when they're going into these territories because they say we have to follow so many guidelines to avoid civilian casualties. And we have to make life and death decisions on the spot. Are we going to endanger ourselves? Or are we going to risk killing a civilian? This is what they wrestle with. So, yes, Israel does not do things perfectly. And, yes, there are Israeli soldiers that have, that have 
that have sinned against the Palestinian people, that have committed barbaric acts. These things have happened, and they're tried for these things, and they're called to account for these things, and there are protests in Israel over these things. Uh, the complete opposite, that to the people of Gaza, when Israelis are killed, innocent women and children and men, that's a cause for celebration. Friends, what would America do, attacked by 700 rockets and bombs over a weekend? Then don't criticize Israel for defending itself. It's doing what needs to be done. And you know who the greatest victims are? The Palestinian people, because of their corrupt leadership, Hamas. Those are the facts. It's the Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Get into the Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Hey, Kendra, I'm just looking at your comments in our YouTube chat here. We really need more moderators. The anti-Semites are here. Man, you guys are a disgrace to the name of Jesus. Ah, Ed from True News. Yeah, I, I think you guys are going in a terribly dangerous wrong direction. I'm quite sure factually you're making some tragic, tragic mistakes. I'm quite sure that you're heading in a direction that does not reflect the spirit of truth, that does not reflect the spirit of Jesus, that echoes anti-Semitic tropes through the years. Just so you know, Ed, I immediately said to Rick Wiles, I'll come on your show, you come on mine. He wouldn't come on my show. Let's have a formal moderated debate. I'll do it with anyone on the panel about the key issues that we are dividing over now. We don't want to debate. I said, well, then tell you what, I'll come on your show as long as you guarantee me that I get equal time, however much time your panel gets, I get, and that the show will air unedited. No thanks. So, Edward, I just want you to know I've made every effort to reach out, and you are invited. If, if Rick Wiles won't come on my show, you come on my show, but I guarantee you, you gentlemen are making serious mistakes when it comes to Israel and the Jewish people. You are taking an extremist quote here and making that the norm. You are taking a gross misinterpretation of rabbinic literature and making that the truth. So I appreciate folks from True News coming on our YouTube chat, but that really accomplishes nothing. All right, come on my show. Come on my show. Don't know why you wouldn't do it. And, and Kai, if you happen to spot anything that gets your attention that you think I should address from the chat, just pull it up and I will do that. 866-34-TRUTH. If you feel what I'm saying about Israel is wrong, if you feel I have misinformation, remember I've got friends, Israelis, as well as Arab Christians who've lived in the land for decades and decades and decades who were involved in reconciliation movements, who are working together for the good of all peoples, I have friends who have worked in the Middle East in Muslim countries for many, many years and that, that can also separate truth from fiction there. And of course, my PhD is in Near Eastern languages and literatures and I've studied rabbinic literature over the decades and I'm quite familiar with the misrepresentations of things as well. So 
Let's bring things to the light. I, I don't understand why people will make some extreme claims. And then when they say, well, let's discuss them. No. Well, let's debate them. No. Well, let me challenge your view. You challenge mine. No. That's disturbing. That tells me that people are not ready for the pushback. That, that they're not ready to have their views challenged. 866-34-TRUTH. I will take calls about Israel. I'm happy to do that. I do want to spend time talking about the passing of Rachel Held Evans, tragically at the age of 37, married with two children. I had very serious differences with Rachel. and felt the direction that she was going with her Christian faith was, was wrong, especially on, on, on critical social issues and cultural issues. But I've seen reactions to her death that are grievous to me, and we can learn something here. I wrote an article about it reflecting on the death of a progressive Christian. I think it's an important read. It's on stream.org. It's on our website, askdrbrown.org. But this does tie in because this is one of the important social, moral, cultural issues. I want to transition over to this, and then I'm happy to get back to Israel later in the show. But let's, uh, let's go back to Jeremy in Canada. Uh, we tried to talk Friday. The call dropped. Hopefully it won't drop today. And Jeremy, I, I read your article where you lay out your deep concerns about a proposed ban on, quote, conversion therapy in Canada. And Jeremy, you had described yourself, sir, as intersex. And I wonder if you could take a moment and explain the difference between that and the transgender activism that we see today. And then we'll, we'll talk about the bill. So go ahead, Jeremy. Thanks for calling. Hi, Dr. Brown. Thanks for having me. Yes, sir. Uh, so the, the difference between intersex and transgender is uh, intersex is uh, typically a genetic deformity in your chromosomes. Uh, either you got an extra uh, y chromosome or there was a deformity in the in the y chromosome as you were developing as a fetus and sometimes this is also referred to people who have uh, multiple external genitalia or unidentifiable genitalia so in, in other words gen- you don't you don't fit neatly into the male female category you may be you appear to be male when you're born then you begin to develop in a female way or vice versa or there's there's ambiguity in terms of genitalia or multiple, as you said. So this is this is actually a, a biological or chromosomal issue as opposed to you're a biological chromosomal male, but you really feel like you're a female. We're talking about two completely different things, correct? That's right. That's right. Yeah. Right. So someone that would that would be rightly categorized as intersex is the church needs real sensitivity there because uh, I can't imagine the struggles or the questions someone goes through and your own journey, how you found wholeness in the midst of it. But as someone who's intersex, so you'd be really sensitive to these issues. You're very concerned about this bill in Canada. Uh, what are your reasons for being so concerned? Well, I, I take it that, you know, if this, I apply it, if this law had been in place when I was a child, then the doctors would have told my parents, hey, um, he's got some intersex, intersex defects, um, we can't tell you what his gender is. He has to discover that for himself. And my parents, being Christians themselves, would have raised me with the understanding that God created them male and female. And so they would have determined for themselves whether it was 
whether I was a male or a female. And then the schools and the, and the government would have come in and said, hey, no, you can't do that, taken me away, forced me into sex change therapy, and sent my, my parents to prison for five years. So right. that's a major concern I have with this bill that they're proposing. All right, so just so we understand it, this is a proposal for Canada, and the bill yeah. would say... Federal bill. Right, okay, it's a federal bill. So it would be a crime, let's say you have a 15-year-old daughter, maybe she was sexually abused when she was growing up, now she's troubled because she finds herself attracted to the same sex and that violates her beliefs and, and desires, so she says to her mom and dad, I'd like to get professional counseling I'd like to get help here. It would be illegal for her to do so, correct? Correct. All right. It, now, if she said, hey, I, I want to affirm these uh, same-sex attractions, I want to embrace my homosexuality, that would be perfectly legal? Yes, it would. All right. So but then, what... when it comes to transgender then, so let's say you've got a 10-year-old boy, he's a biological chromosomal male, but he really feels he's a female, and he's struggling with it, and the parents say, well, look, let's get you professional help. We want you to be at home in your own body. You're a boy. We want you to be at home being a boy. That under this bill, that would be illegal. But if he said, no, I'm going ahead, I'm getting hormone therapy, and when I'm 15, I want to get a sex change operation, that under this bill, his parents would not be able to stop that? No, and actually, there's already a case in, in British Columbia Correct. that uh, has forced a father to give his daughter cross-sex hormones. Right, and she's 14 years old. Her name is Maxine. If he refers to her as his daughter or a girl or Maxine, he'll be instantly arrested for it in the privacy of his home. Uh, so, Jeremy, do you have an opportunity, because of your background, perhaps an open door that someone else may not have an open door to testify? Yeah, I, and I actually I've had some support from uh, members of Parliament in my application to to the Senate, my concern is uh, how do I how do I approach this? Because it, there's there's so many there's so many things from not just a, a moral standard that is wrong with this bill, but also from a legal standpoint and uh, and from my Christian faith. How to yeah? Where do yeah, I even so, begin? So so here's what I'd recommend, Jeremy. There are Christian attorneys and legal associations fighting this. There are pastors, there's a growing pastors network where they're speaking out saying, we don't care what costs us. We're going to speak out and do the right thing. Those are mobilizing. What you need to do is use your unique situation, the challenges and hardships that you've faced as someone who is intersex. That gives you a voice. You are part of the less than 1%. And as a Christian, you are speaking, but I, I would not even say I'm speaking as a Christian. I, I wouldn't, I, I would, it's your story. People need stories. They, they need compelling stories. They need a face. And that would be my whole emphasis, sir. I would say, look, I'm intersex. Let me tell you what I went through. And under this bill, just like you told me here, this could have happened. This is dreadful. This is terrible. On behalf of all those who are intersex, I'm urging you not to pass this bill and let, let the others speak. And, and Father, we just pray for Jeremy. Lord, I don't know what he's lived through, the obstacles he's had to overcome, but rather than just kind of keeping everything quiet and private, he's, he's willing to take reproach and attack from those on the left. So I pray, Father, that you'll bless him, that you'll give him courage, 
that should give him an open door and that his story would become national news and would help turn the tide against this evil and destructive bill. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, Jeremy, thanks for your courage and your stand. You've got contact info with our team. Keep us posted, and we know others at work in Canada as well. 866-34-TRUTH. We come back. I'm going to build on that call, but we're going to change subjects somewhat. Phone lines are open, 866-348-7884. And I've got an exciting announcement for you when we come back as well. So stay tuned right here on The Line of Fire. The Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Get into the Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Welcome, welcome, friends, to the Line of Fire. Hey, we have just moved our YouTube chat up 15 minutes. So that means less than 45 minutes from now. I, I love I love doing these exclusive YouTube chats on our Ask Dr. Brown YouTube channel. So if you're watching on YouTube, 15 minutes after the show is over, we'll start the new chat. Everyone else, join us there. We got room. We got everybody. You can have like a billion people, I guess, right? But whoever wants, everybody, join us there in 42 minutes. And what we do is I'll share some insights with you, some thoughts, and, and then I spend the whole time just looking at my screen and taking your questions, grabbing your questions that you post there. We'll go for 45 minutes or an hour or so. So we moved it up to 415. Also, also, we have our first 22 Patreon patrons. Yeah. Uh, we use about a thousand ultimately uh, to do what we need to do with our, our videos and, and production and getting more things out for you. But we got our first 22. So every week we're, we're producing two bonus videos. All right. Two bonus videos. And, and, what it is is our YouTube chats that we do. Once we do them, they're, they're private. Once we finish with them, they're private. But as a Patreon partner, you'll get to watch them. All right? And then I'm recording a bonus show. I did one on, on how I learned to study the scripture, then another on how to have a, a blessed marriage. And then I, I'm, next one I'm going to do is how to discover your calling. So these are really neat, like half-hour teachings. And, and they're, they're our, for our Patreon subscribers. So join our team. Okay. Can you legitimately spare like 30, 35 cents a day? Some say I can't spare a penny. I understand that. But I think most could, could pretty easily do that, right? Put aside a quarter, 50 cents every day. So for $10 or more per month, you become a Patreon partner. Now, if you only spare $2 a month or $10 or $8 a month, that's fine. But $10 or more per month, and some of you give a lot more, you become a Patreon partner. And what that means is, first and foremost, you're helping us produce more videos, cutting edge videos, commentary videos, consider this videos, key things. You're helping us rebut a lot of error and establish truth. So we're here to do that for you, but you're, we're going to do it together, teamwork. And then secondly, as a benefit to you, you'll get two bonus videos every week. And then I'm sure God will bless you in many ways for your partnership. So go to patreon.com 
All right. Be, be one of the first 50 or 100. Okay. Patreon.com forward slash ASKDR Brown forward slash ask Dr. Brown. Okay. Uh, I, I am going to go to the phones shortly. Uh, a number of different questions coming up. And, and I want to get to a number of calls on some random but interesting subjects. But first, allow me to reflect on the tragic death of Rachel Held Evans at the age of 37. She's widely known in certain Christian circles and not as widely known in others. So for those who don't know who she is, married, a mother of two, some years back she began to blog about her honest questions as a Christian and struggles and what if I tried to live exactly by what the Bible says or Old Testament law, what would that look like? And was very public about her, her doubts and, and many people began to relate to what she wrote and she became a best-selling Christian author. In recent years, uh, she has been so upset with evangelical support of Donald Trump that she has been quite militantly on the other side of those issues. And although she remains pro-life, she voted for Hillary Clinton and has ended up that she changed her views on the Bible and homosexual practice. We reached out to her a couple of different times, inviting her to come on the show with me and dialogue about our differences. And we either we got a no or no response at all. But we did reach out without success. And going back through my archives, it looks like I wrote a couple of articles where I, I differed with her. My perception was always that she was struggling with things as a Christian and trying to be Christian. At one point, doubting the Bible. And, and look, a lot of people have doubts. She was just open and vocal and honest about hers. And I guess as she got to meet people who professed to be gay Christians and saw their lives and then looked at others that said they were hurt by the church, that in her heart, the compassionate thing to do was stand with them and, and, and revisit how she looked at scripture. So I had real differences with her and felt she was heading in a very wrong and dangerous direction because she was influential to many. I was really concerned about that. I had no idea that she had gotten sick. She got the flu last month, ended up in the hospital an adverse reaction to antibiotics and then gone. So I had no idea if she was sick or anything. And, and headline was sent to me over the weekend by my team, Rachel Held Evans dead. I thought, dead, no, can't be just 37 years old. So because most folks who follow me know the strong differences I've had with her, I, I tweeted out a message saying that although we've had our theological differences, that I'm, I'm grieved uh, to, to hear of her passing. And I'm, I'm, uh, this is what I tweeted. I had strong differences with some of the Christian expression of Rachel Held Evans, but I'm truly sad and shocked to hear of her death at age 37. Uh, may God comfort her husband and family. And, and I, I really hope she's with the Lord. Uh, yes, I differ deeply with things that she was teaching. I do not know that she denied fundamentals of the faith, but I was deeply concerned about the direction in which she was going. I hope she's with the Lord. I can't imagine the loss for the young father and the children. 37 years old, that's a, that's a tragic, tragic thing. Someone responded to me on Twitter and said, how could you be sad? I pray for these kinds of things to happen. So I, I tweeted back 
those are ugly and dangerous prayers to pray. You might find yourself the victim of your own praying one day. He responded, 1 Corinthians 5 says, we judge the church. The lady was misleading the church, defiling it. I wrote, Paul did not teach the Corinthians to pray for the death of sinning church members. He taught them to excommunicate them. My last comment to you, may God give you the grace to see things from his perspective. And then I muted him because I have no interest in and hearing what this person is going to be saying back. And I don't want that cluttering my Twitter feed. What's the point? Why did I say those are ugly and dangerous prayers to pray? You might find yourself the victim of your own praying one day. If you're praying for God to kill people, for God to smite people that have a doctrinal error here or doctrinal error there or, or, or misleading God's people here or there, you might be the next one to get smitten. You might have a serious doctrinal error also. You might have a stance that you're taking that's dangerous. You say, no, 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 I'm right. Oh, listen, I believe I'm right. Every major thing I hold to, I'll go to the wall with that thing. I'll, I'll, that's a hill I'll die on. The foundations of the faith that I hold to, you better believe I believe I'm right. Otherwise, I wouldn't follow them. Why follow something if you believe it's wrong? Now, there are peripheral issues that I believe strongly, but I'm not going to die on that hill. And there can be differences within the body. Look, I'm, I'm not a Calvinist. I'm strongly not a Calvinist. I'm not going to die on that hill. I strongly believe in a pre-trib rapture. I'm not going to die on that hill. But the hills of the, the fundamentals of the faith, the fundamentals of the gospel, and who God is and who Jesus is, and, and, and the, the, the plan of salvation, and the authority of Scripture, those are hills I'll die on. And God's moral standards, those are hills I'll die on. So yes, I, I believe that so-called progressive Christians are going in a very dangerous direction and are misleading others. And I do believe that, that ultimately it is a, a, an issue where you're, you're right with God or wrong with God. In other words, if you, say, if you say that I support homosexual practice as a follower of Jesus, I say you cannot be right with God in doing that because that is so contrary to his plan and so contrary to his word. But God's the judge of when a line is crossed. God's the judge of, of when our error goes to the point of, of heresy that now disqualifies us from salvation. And God knows how long he deals with us to give us time to repent. Even if you read in Revelation, the second chapter, Jesus says, speaking of the false prophet, as he calls Jezebel, I gave her time to repent. I gave her time to repent, but she wouldn't. So I'm going to judge her. But I pray for grace and mercy and repentance. That's what I pray. People I differ with, people I believe in every God, bring them into the truth, open their hearts, open their minds, give them the humility, give them the courage to follow you, to follow your truth. That's what I pray for. And then I pray for myself, God, any blind spots in me, show me. Any, any error in me, show me. Any, anywhere where I'm, I'm not reflecting your heart, show me. I want to be like Jesus. I want to be faithful to you. I want to honor you. Yes, to repeat, there's things that are black and white, right and wrong to me. There are hills that I'll die on. There are areas that, that I, I would literally rather die than compromise that I could not imagine bowing down to the world or to external pressure or to spiritual deception or anything else and denying fundamentals of the faith. God forbid. And I hope that's your heart as well. And we stand by grace. But the point is, I, the idea that I'm going to pray for God to kill people that, that have a doctrinal error, that I'm going to pray for 
that I'm going to pray for, for God to, to kill people that are <clears throat> deviating in a certain way here or there. there. There's an apocryphal story. I believe it's in the Testament of Abraham that the angel, it was Gabriel or one of the angels, begins to give Abraham a tour of what's happening on the earth. And Abraham looks down and seals, sees a man stealing. And he says, God, smite him, kill him. So the angel strikes him dead. And then he, he sees a couple committing adultery. Ha! Huh! God, smite him, kill him. And they drop dead. And then he sees another man worshiping an idol. <gasps> God, smite him, kill him. And the angel strikes him dead. And then suddenly there's a voice from God, Abraham, Abraham, you're killing my, my creation. If God went around killing everybody that was in doctrinal error, we'd all be dead. If, if God went around killing everyone that sinned, we'd all be dead. I never would have made it to get saved because I would have been killed for, for being a, a drug abuser and stealing from my father and being a lying rebel. And, and here, if, if Calvinism is wrong, then I would have been killed for being a non-Calvinist. When I was a Calvinist, I would have been killed for being a Calvinist. You say, well, God's not going to kill someone over that. Well, is he going to kill someone for, for being Catholic instead of Protestant? Is he going to kill someone for being a Muslim? Is he going to kill someone for being an atheist? So, yes, I, I had serious differences with, with Rachel Evans, but, but I hope she's with the Lord. God's the judge. More importantly, the, the condemning type of rhetoric after a young mother, mother of two, and a wife dies, that's cruel. It's not the spirit of God. It's not the spirit of Christ. We need to step higher. Mean-spirited, angry responses do not respect and, and reflect the heart of God. We'll be right back. It's The Line of Fire with your host, activist, author, international speaker, and theologian, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Get into The Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Thanks, friends, for joining us on The Line of Fire. 866-348-7884 is the number to call. Yeah, I... Thank you when my team members pointing out that I said I strongly believe in a pre-trib rapture. I certainly do not believe in a pre-trib rapture, but either way, that's not a hill I'm going to die on. All right, got that? 866-34-TRUTH. Let's go to Sean in Texas. Welcome to the line of fire. Hello, Dr. Brown. Hey. Thanks for taking my call. Sure thing. I had a question about uh, Leviticus 25, uh, 45, and 46. Uh, My question pertained to the uh, ownership of slaves uh, perpetually. Uh, Leo, aim, (laughs) the word in the Hebrew, and I was wondering, uh, I was uh, trying to... Yeah. Oh, Leolam? Okay. Uh And I was trying to reconcile that verse, the perpetual ownership of the uh, slaves uh, from the surrounding nations, and also the end end of uh, verse forty six, where it contrasts the treatment of the Hebrew, uh, the the Hebrew brothers uh, brethren. Uh, so the English Standard 
standard version says you may bequeath them to your sons after yep. you inherit as a possession forever. You may make slaves of them, but over your brothers, the people of Israel, you should not rule one over another ruthlessly. So the yep. contrast between the perpetual ownership of non-Hebrew slaves and the ruthless uh, rule over that you can't give to the uh, Hebrew Hebrews under your possession, but you it, yeah, the contrast, all, yeah, all clear, so. all clear, sir. Yeah, number one, the verses say what they say. In, in other words, uh, it's not that the Hebrew is being mistranslated or misunderstood. That that is what it says. English translations do say it. And out of all the verses in the Law of Moses under the Sinai Covenant having to do with slavery, out of all the verses, these would be the ones that would be most disturbing to us based on our ethic and our understanding. So my answer in short is this. Number one, this was under the Sinai Covenant and not everything in the Sinai Covenant reflected ideals. For example, Jesus says in Matthew 19, because of the hardness of the human heart, God gave a clause for divorce. But that was not his intent. His intent was one man, one woman for life. But because of human weakness and sinfulness, there were certain things that were given to Israel. They were better than what was, in some cases, night and day better than what was in the surrounding countries. And, and the laws pertaining to slavery are a great example, much more humanitarian than the laws of the surrounding countries. But there was a contrast that there were nations of idol worshipers and sinners, and if they were subdued, that people could be enslaved. Now, even if that was the case, though, Sean, there was still, they still had to be treated ethically. And if they weren't treated ethically, that was the law universally, that they would be released. So they still would rest on the Sabbath. They still had to be treated ethically. They could not be kidnapped. You know, you go into a foreign country, you kidnap people like we did or working with the African slave trade. So others kidnapping Africans within Africa, other Africans or Arabs kidnapping them and then selling them. Those things were not options, but it was possible to acquire slaves from the nations. They did not have the full benefits of an Israelite slave who would only serve for six years and then would go free in the seventh year. Uh, unless he said, hey, I want to serve you the rest of my life, in which case he would go free in the year of Jubilee. But this is Question. one of these verses. This is one of these verses where we'd say, yeah, uh, this was the law and it was not the very best, but it was better than what was. And the slaves still had to be treated ethically. Now we have a new and better covenant. But that's the way I explain it. Question. Uh, so yeah. Would you say that God inspired uh, this verse uh, when it speaks about the perpetual slavery? Yeah, I, I believe God spoke it. It says God spoke it. In other words, this is here. If you, if you look at, at, the, uh, at the beginning of the chapter, right, the beginning of, of Leviticus chapter 25, all right, where, where all this starts, uh, all right, hang on. I'm not sure why this is not coming up for me. Am I? Okay, tell you what, let me get something else opened up here. But if you look at the beginning of, of Leviticus chapter 25, it's, it's plainly what God speaks. And in these laws are the laws of Jubilee and, and, and the, uh, the year of release and things like this. So here, Leviticus chapter 25. So I believe God spoke it. I believe God inspired it. I believe it was part of his judgment on the foreign nations that were unrepentant and that were idol worshipers. Uh, the Lord spoke to Moses on Mount Sinai saying, right? So 
There you have it, Leviticus chapter 25, verse 1. Uh, and if you keep skipping down, all right, keep skipping down, and it's all God speaking. So yes, I believe it was inspired. I believe it was part of God's judgment on the nations. But even so, foreign slaves still had to be treated ethically or they would be released. So this was definitely better than in the rest of the ancient world. However, it was still something that we look at as not reflecting God's ultimate ideal for humanity. By the way, I'm going to be having a debate with an Old Testament Semitic scholar about slavery in the Old Testament this weekend. And uh, I'm going to focus on some of these things a little bit more. If I get some more insight, Shane, because I've looked at the passage many a time, something that I'm missing, I'll be sure to share it. Uh, Thank you, though, for the call. 866-34-TRUTH. Let's go to Taylor in Atlanta. Welcome to the line of fire. Hey, how's it going, Dr. Brown? It's Uh, going well. Appreciate your your channel. Uh, Listen to it often. Thank you. Um, I jumped into um, your message about um, the bombings in Israel. And I guess I haven't really had a chance to um, talk to um, a scholar or, you know, a theologian about this topic. But um, I guess my question would be about um, war, the basis of war, and as a Christian, like, should we support war? Or, you know, because we see um, the apostles, they they died for their faith, but they didn't bring violence. You know, they right, right. So, the, so here's yeah, and I'm just I'm just jumping in because we've got a bad connection, uh, and and it's a little hard for us to to hear properly. So, so Taylor, I go to Romans chapter thirteen. Romans chapter 13, where Paul is talking about governmental authority there, all right? And, and I want you to note this, okay? Romans 13, whoever resists the authorities, verse 2, resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For leaders cause no fear for good behavior, but for bad. Now, if you do not want to fear the authority, do what is good, and you'll get his approval for he is God's servant to you for your good. But if you do evil, be afraid, for he does not carry the sword for no reason. For he is God's servant, an avenger, who inflicts punishment on the evildoer. So that is telling me that government leaders have authority from God to inflict punishment. Violent punishment, the the sword is spoken of, to inflict punishment on evildoers. So that would mean if you had a group of terrorists and they invade your city and they are surrounding, be it a church building or a mosque or a synagogue or a children's school. And they are about to open fire and start killing people that the government rightly and righteously and the military rightly and righteously as God's servants could take them out. And we would say, praise God. That was a good thing. It's a shame. These men were given to violence and are lost but praise God, it's a good thing that this happened. That is the government rightly using the sword. When Israeli civilians are being bombed by Hamas, it is good for the Israeli government to use the sword to shut this down and to do their best to find a solution to eradicate this terrorism in the days ahead. Does not mean every war is justified. There are wars that are based on political ambition. There are wars that are based on greed and territorial expansion. But, but 
the simple principle of having a government with military authority that can carry out sentences with judicial authority, that can carry out sentences that can punish evildoers, that is right and righteous and established by God. Now, that does not mean if we are being persecuted for the faith that what we should all do is arm ourselves so whoever comes near us we can kill. Right? Obviously, that was not how the apostles and disciples lived. However, if we came under attack as a nation, whatever the cause of that attack was, that we defend ourselves as a nation, that's a right and righteous thing to do. All right, friends, listen. 17 minutes from now, we just move things up to 4.15 Eastern Standard Time. 17 minutes from now, you can join me, if you're watching on YouTube, the same channel, all right? And, and here, I'm giving a personal invitation. Everyone listening, everyone watching on Facebook, if you're, if you're with us live, so you can do this. I'm giving a personal invitation from the heart to my critics, to those who differ with me, to those who believe I'm wrong doctrinally, to those who believe I'm wrong when it comes to Israel, the Jewish people, to those who have a, a beef with me, please join us on YouTube and air your views. And I will do my best to interact with as many of you as I can. You have my personal invitation from the heart. You say, well, you control the mic. Well, I've told other critics that have shows that are major enough that I'll come on your show and We'll talk. No, no, we won't have that. So I'm doing the best I can to say, let's talk. Let's interact. So 15 minutes from now on the Ask Dr. Brown YouTube channel, we'll keep the conversation going. Special broadcast tomorrow. Don't miss it. And if you're in the DFW area tomorrow night, join me for a TV shoot with James Robinson tomorrow night, Tuesday.